um, and with talking with Pat, going back and forth over what I was going to say today or what I was not going to say, it's, it's been, there's been some shovels in clearing out the path for, for today for me because there's a lot of reflection and, okay, is this fleshy or is it, is this what God's telling me to say or is this just how I feel? Because how I feel is garbage compared to what God's telling me to say. So there's this constant uh, scale going on, trying to weigh it against God's truth and then my feelings. So uh, I just want to start off by clarifying a couple things. Um, I absolutely despise politics. I hate them. I hate what they do to the country every four years. I hate the way that that it makes me feel. I hate the stuff that I see online. I hate, I, I just really, really don't like politics at all. I hate how it's divisive. I hate how everybody picks a side and we're right and they're wrong and these people are monsters and these people... I despise it. And I think that every time we go into an election, there's this cloud of confusion <laughs> that, uh, that comes and it has people going at each other and they don't even really know what they're going at each other about. It's just, they're confused. It's just, it's this crazy time. And so, uh, I just want to, I didn't ask permission, but I'm, I'm is it okay if I use, use, okay, perfect. Um, for instance, this week I got on Facebook, or was it last week? When, it was last week. Um, and Heather had posted just a, it was a statement of, about like what, what President Trump has said since the election. There was no, um, no, like there was nothing to be offended by by this post of hers, and then there proceeded to be comments on there that were they were like knocking Heather, and like they were like downplaying her commitment to the fight for abortions in our country, and I swear there was this rage that came up inside me. I had to edit my comment back to those people probably fifteen times to make it clean because I'm like, who do you think you're talking to right now? Like if if there was a heavyweight championship belt of anti-abortion, it would be on her wall in the den at her house. Like, she is very involved in that. She, she knows a lot about that stuff, and we champion that in her. She is like our wrecking ball when it comes to that thing. We can get behind her, and stuff just moves out of the way. Well, these people are saying horrible things to her. Like, one, they're implying that she doesn't know anything about the struggle for abortions. And, and then on another, it's like it's all based around a candidate that was more or less for abortion, and there's just all this. What? Like, this is what I hate about politics. It makes people nuts for leading into and and shortly following elections. I hate it. We see it every time. So I just want to clarify with you guys, if you see me post something on Facebook, and it hits you a certain way, and you think maybe I'm talking about you, well, maybe I am. But also, I want you to know that, that it's coming from a place of love. It's coming from a place of looking at people that I know and love and watching them participate in something that I know, the, 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 
God is on the throne. God is on the throne. He is always in control. Always. Despite whatever's happening. So if you lose that focus, then you can start to get desperately attached to a candidate where if this guy's not in the White House some morning, I'm, my, my life is over. If you're that involved in a candidate and you're that swirled up, by, you need to do some reflection because God is in control. The Bible is not on the same level with the American flag. It's way above, right. way above. And I think that every four years, we just kind of give ourselves permission to forget that fact for just a little while. And then it becomes this absolute shaky ground that, that we all kind of stand on. Like, well, if it's election time, I guess it's time for the ground to shake. And we just brace ourselves. And I hate it. I hate it so much. So the reason why I'm starting this message off with this is just because I, I want there to be clarification that, one, I'm not for abortion. Never. I would never, ever, ever, ever offer the advice of anyone to ever get an abortion under any circumstances, ever. Okay? We're clear? Two, I believe that as Christian citizens in this country, it is our job to research, to prayerfully consider, and to vote. And after we cast our vote, I believe it is time for us to pray for those in leadership over us, and that's it. That's as much of a bite of the political sandwich that I allow myself to take for my own health and for my own after election after election after election having to repent of things that I've said or things that I've shared or thoughts that I've had about other people it's it's become a it had become a stumbling block in my adult life I'm 42 now so I've seen a few elections not you know all of them <laughs> but I've definitely come to the end of election time and looked back on the trail behind me and gone wow that I don't know that that was okay, what I did back there. And so I don't do that anymore. I allow myself to research. I prayerfully consider a candidate. I cast my vote. And now today, like I do every day, I prayed for all of those in authority over me. Every morning I pray for our governor. Every morning I pray for our president. Every morning I I start my day with that prayer. It doesn't matter who's sitting in those seats. Because I'm God's. Okay? So I just want to clarify that. Like, this has nothing to do with, like, the message that I prepared. But it's, I, I felt like maybe there was some clarification needed because I was, you know, getting some, getting some feedback that maybe people were not okay with some of the things that I posted. And I just want you to know how I feel. And I want to come out and actually say what I agree with, what I don't, and how I participate in politics. Okay? Cool. Can we go on from here? All right. No no food or rocks are being thrown at me, so I guess I'll continue. All right. So I am partnering with Pat, and we are going over this Barna survey. <laughs> That's weird. You're right, Pat. Every time I move, I see something out of the corner of my eye moving. Squirrel. Um, So this week, we're going to talk about the the Barna survey states that 48% 
of evangelicals, 44% of Pentecostals, 59% of mainstream Christians, and 66% of Catholics reject the teaching that when Jesus Christ was on earth, he was fully human, but he didn't sin. Now, on the surface, I can understand maybe, you know, you just kind of skim over and it's like, well, why is this a big deal? It doesn't really... This is a huge deal. This is a foundational to our salvation deal. One of the things that most scholars would agree on in the last 20 years or so is that Christians in America or Christians in general have, have gone from knowing what they know because they read the scriptures to quoting what they've heard because they're just taking pastor's word for it and they don't actually do any in-depth study of the scriptures. This is a, a foundational brick, if you will, for our salvation, what we believe to be salvation. So we're going to dive into why this is important. We're going to go into some areas of the Bible that talk about this. But also, I just want to stress... It is important to understand why we believe what we believe. If you don't know the scriptures and you get into a coffee house conversation about, say this, for example, which actually happened to me before. I used to work at a coffee house for like a decade. So I got into a lot of these kind of conversations. If you don't know the scripture, then you can't filter what you're hearing from other people. You can't. You can't do the Kung Fu conversation where they hit you with a question they think is going to stump you and then then you hit them back with with something else. If If you don't have the knowledge of why we believe what I believe or why we believe what we believe, if you don't have that kind of knowledge, it is impossible for you to have a meaningful conversation with someone else about it. You just agree or you agree. Also, a lot of us are like blogcast listeners, podcast, blogcast what are they called now? Podcast? Is it still podcast? Be careful what you listen to. There are a lot of podcasts out there that appear to be Christian and to have Christian values and to have Christian faith and Christian doctrine. But if you're not careful, and this specifically is actually one of them. We're going to go over a passage in the Bible where it talks to us about this. It's a slippery slope. You can get sucked into a church's or a pastor's ideology that's off, that doesn't say what the Scripture says, doesn't follow what the Scripture says. And one little nuance, that that can throw shade on the rest of the things that they talk about. And before you know it, you're sucked into something, and you're, you're amening something, and you're agreeing and processing something that is from a false doctrine. It's from a false teacher. So it's very, very important to test if you hear something weird, <laughs> my ear gets tickled. Sometimes I'll just, I'll hear the end of a phrase and all of a sudden I'm like, eh, I don't, that didn't sit right. And then I have to stop and then figure out where he's talking about and what scripture they're talking about or how they're, what kind of context they're using for the scripture. Because it's, it's very, very important for us to not be 100% trusting and spoon-fed everything that we're told. Right? Would you agree? Okay. (laughs) So to start, 
I actually want to go to Exodus 12. So the idea and the concept of the spotless lamb, right, which we know that's who Jesus was in the New Testament. He was the spotless lamb that was sacrificed for our sins. He's he's the bridge. Because of him and because of his sinless life, we now have salvation. We now... Well, the spotless lamb actually starts back in the Old Testament. The Jewish hearers of... The New Testament would have, would have immediately caught on to this, but I just wanted to go over this. I'm sure you're all familiar with the Passover, but it's not very long. So in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for, for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to their number of persons. Sorry, there's two accordings there. It messes me up. According to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. In other words, if, if your household is really small, you can join up with another household and just do one lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. Now, Let's stop right there. Why is this important? Well, one, if you can imagine, if you're in the business of raising sheep, right, your most prized sheep are going to be the perfect ones, right? You don't want the Louis lamb that, like, his eye kind of looks this way and he has trouble paying attention with stuff. And maybe there's, like, black splotchy things. Sheep are prone to all kinds of different, like, mange, kind of like a dog would get, so they have, like, a bald spot. There's all kinds of things that sheep could get that are in your flock. But your most prized ones are the perfect ones, like... The show sheep, <laughs> if you will, right? And that's what God's asking for. He's asking for the best that you have to offer, right? Perfect that you have to offer. That's important. Uh, so your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. That's that's prize money because that, that's actually taking a perfect lamb that could possibly create more perfect sheep. So you're sacrificing part of your business that way. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They will eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you, will sh- and you shall let none of it remain until in the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In the manner you shall eat it. In this manner you shall eat it. Your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you 
on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person will be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but whatever, but, but what everyone needs to eat that alone may be pre- prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. So when we read later on in the Bible where it talks about Jesus being the, the perfect spotless lamb, this is what we're going back to because in this time, in this story or in this historical document that we have the people of Israel are enslaved in Egypt right and and so through the blood and the sacrifice of this perfect lamb very valuable possession right this is like you know God's like bring me your cleanest escalade or you know however you can bring it to like our world value today by them slaughtering this lamb and spreading this on their doorpost, God passed over. But everyone else in Egypt, as we read, lost their firstborn. They, 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 God really, and he even told them how to eat this meal because they needed to be ready to go. Because God knew that after this move of God, it was going to be time for them to head out, for them to be ready to go. So it's, it's this pattern, right? There's this perfect, spotless lamb whose sacrifice and blood showed God who they were. They got blessing from it and were passed over in the midst of all this. And then you have the New Testament where Jesus' blood marked us all. And those who swear by the blood, those who are part of that blood covenant, that blood oath, are passed over from the wrath of God. Can you see kind of the, it's the same, yet different. Different, yet the same. Why is this important? Let's start with, uh, what it is really is it's the dividing line of salvation. Let's go to Second John chapter 1. We're going to go to Second John chapter one verse seven. So this this is kind of the bookend for us when it comes to the doctrine of Jesus. If you take what the Bible says about Jesus and you you try to you try to mess with any of the pillars that it stands on, we have clear direction in the Bible of what to do in that situation. Because this is a, a lot of times what, what other 
I guess, religions or, uh, to put the term lightly, other, uh, you know, groups of believers might do. Like, you have people like the Mormons, who, they do a lot of nice stuff. They have a really great choir, and they sing really pretty songs and stuff. But when it comes to Jesus, they downplay who he really was and who the Bible tells us he is. They take away the sinless. They take away the virgin birth. They take away, and he's just a prophet. The same thing with the... Islamic people, it's the same thing. They agree that Jesus existed and that he was a powerful prophet, but that's it. They do not agree with any of the messianic prophecies that he fulfilled, which were way numerous, too numerous to really count. There's, there's actually, we still don't even have agreement on how many prophecies he actually fulfilled, but it's well over 300. So verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. You might want to underline or highlight that. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. So if you're part of a, if you're part of a group of people online, perhaps, and they, they're like, eh, well, you know, there doesn't, maybe it wasn't a virgin birth, but, you know, he's still Jesus. Hmm, no, <laughs> no, that, that's, that's not the way it works. And the Bible is explicitly clear here. We're not even to invite those kind of people into our house. Don't invite them into your iPod. Don't invite them onto your iPhone. Don't invite them onto your YouTube. Don't invite them anywhere. If, they, if this part doesn't line up, if the doctrine of Jesus is wrong in a group of believers, we need to go the other way. Because this is foundational, right? Everyone's asleep. So... Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching, the teaching that's contrary to what we believe, has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. This is why we've got to be careful about who we listen to and what t-shirts we buy so quickly without testing. Because it's, it's very, I've noticed myself even, it's very easy to like hear a worship song or something. I'm like, man, this band is really good. They're, they're doing good things and they're part of whatever church. You know, there's one in Georgia that I followed for a while where I don't remember the name, probably good. I don't want to say it anyway. But they, they had a worship band, and they, they had this cool sound, and, you know, so I'm, like, kind of starting to listen to the worship band. I'm like, oh, the pastor's got a podcast. So I start listening to it, and it's not biblical. It's not found many red flags, and this was in, like, a like a 30-minute condensed sermon that he gave, and I'm like, wow, you know, I've just, time to shut the door. This one, I can't keep this one. I, I, I like how I tap my feet, but I can't get down with what they're saying. It's important for us to examine everything because I, I just just to clear it up, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. 
So if I unknowingly don't catch something that I shouldn't agree with or don't agree with in a podcast, but I go and tell 10 of my friends, hey, you've got to listen to Pastor So-and-so. This guy's great. But I know that my friends probably might not be as liable to, to actually sit down with the Bible and actually go over word by word and figure out if what this guy's saying is true or not. Now there's 10 more, followed by 10 more, followed by 100 more. Followed, you know what I mean? This is how these things get out of control. And it could take a year or so before somebody actually stands up like, wait a minute, wait a minute, this isn't right. And before you know it, all this stuff has gone this direction when it never should have started in the first place. It's our job to discern what we're hearing. Christianity was never, even in the apostles' day, it was never designed for there to be like a priest at the top who does all the Bible reading and all the decision-making about what's said and what's not said and what the Bible means and what it doesn't mean. And and then there's just a bunch of parishioners that come to hear what the priest says once a week and they write their checks and they go home. That's never the way that this was designed to be, ever. It's it's actually a newer concept than the last... 150-ish years, where now there's this new culture of church where people come to church, they get spoon-fed what the pastor thinks, and chances are, even if he's wrong, no one's going to call him out on it. I want you guys to know, if I ever come up here and I say something that I believe that the Bible says, and you disagree with me, those are conversations that are worth having. I Call me. I'm an approachable guy. I mean, there may be a screaming kid in the background or something, but we'll get on the phone. Because the truth is, none of us have all of this figured out. Nobody. I mean, we've had the canonized Bible for hundreds of years, but people disagree on stuff fervently. I mean, you can just get out two Bible commentaries and you can see which, it's crazy how two writers will go, in two separate directions with a, with, with a point that, in my mind, I'm going, I don't go either way <laughs> with either one of those. I'm just reading what, what's here. But it's, it's, not, it's not a perfect... Bible interpretation is not a perfect science. It's not a perfect... You can get it wrong. But I can tell you this. Pastors, one, that know this are better pastors. And pastors who are quick to go, you know what, guys? Last week... I, I made an interpretation out of the Bible and I got it wrong. And I, I'm here to tell you that I apologize and that I've repented and that we're going in this direction. I've never seen that in my entire life until right here, which is one of the things that Pat taught me, which is crazy to me because I've never in my life been around a pastor as humble as Pat, where he loves people and he, he, he's passionate about the word but at the same time, like, he's, he's not on this pedestal with pieces of paper from universities and all this garbage that makes you build yourself up to where you think that, like, you own the car dealership or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, there's a lot of that in the church. Pat's not that way. And it, that's why this place and this guy is so refreshing for me because he's not unwilling to make a phone call. Like, hey, you know, I saw this. I wanted to talk to you about it. That's refreshing for me. Like, it's kind of cool to have somebody that calls you out on your stuff. (laughs) Like, if he thinks that he's got you on something, then you have a conversation about it. It's such a rarity in the church, but it needs to be more common. It really needs to be more common. The church having conversations about Scripture needs to be more common. 
the, the, the church actually diving in to some of these meat and potato kind of passages where you got to have conversations and you got to look up other scripture and you got to go to the Old Testament, you got to go to the New Testament, maybe consult. That's all, like, that's, that's the best protein shake a bodybuilder could, could put in them. And we've lost that in our church. Not, not necessarily this group of people, but I'm, what I'm saying is in, we've lost that in the church as a whole. The bride has been asleep for a while. And I feel like there's this, the, the, there's this time coming where we have to wake up, where we have to take responsibility for how much we're in the word. A lot of people are like, I, I see a lot of people online talk about revival, like revival's going to come. And when the revival comes, this. And then, and then when the revival comes at this church, this. Guys, revival starts in here. Right. It starts in your daily relationship with the scriptures and God. And we need more scriptures. We can't be all about the, you know, music on and our hands up and just sitting there. No, we need to study scriptures too. It has its place. We, revival is not going to come until we start taking it on ourselves in our prayer closet. That's where revival starts. And then one ignition causes another ignition, causes another ignition. And then that might happen at a church. But I mean, all of it starts with one person getting on fire, one person. And I feel like we miss that. I feel like we just, when I say we, I'm talking about the people that I read and the language that I see online. A lot of people across the country are just like, you know, we're just waiting. (laughs) We're waiting on this thing. It's been five years and nothing's different. And it's like, what have you been changing? What have you been going after? What are we going after in our Bibles right now? What passage are we reading and really getting into the meat and potatoes of it? What do you not understand about the passage that you're reading right now? Are you chewing on something like that? Or are we listening to, you know, just podcasts of like, okay, like, 30-minute quick message, light light and fluffy. We're not going to really get into meat and potatoes, but you'll feel good at the end, and then we're going to end it with a song. We're out of here. <sighs> That's not really the work of growing a vineyard. It's, it's not really the, the, the work of digging in and being a disciple and really seeing what the Scriptures mean. So a question. The, the number one question when it comes to <laughs> I got on a way sideways story trail there. The number one question when this subject comes up, and this is coming from coffee shop experience, which used to account for stuff. How could Jesus be born human and not get our inherent nature, right? Because you've heard it said that we're born, when we're born, we're born with a sinful nature in us, correct? Like from birth, we have this inner thing that makes us selfish, that makes us self-serving, that makes us want things that other people have, that there is this sinful nature that we are actually born with. You can see it in babies, too. Like, we, we've got, well, we don't have babies anymore, but you can see it in, in little, especially with Olivia. She, she is a little master manipulator. But you can see it in that kind of behavior, though. Like, when they pop out the, the bottom lip and make a little pouty face, and it's not because they're actually sad, but they've learned that that posture means that you might get the donut or whatever it is that you're asking for. It's manipulation is really what it is. It's cute. <laughs> but when they're doing it, when, it, when they're 30, it's different. But like, you know, at, at two, it's, it's cute. But you understand that that's where it comes from. It's, well, I've learned 
how to get my way. If I go this way, if I scream loud enough, my brother drops the toy that he doesn't want me to have, and I get it. So how, if Jesus is born into that world, how is Jesus sinless if he didn't have the sinful nature? But this is why what we believe is so important, because we also believe in the virgin birth. And because of the virgin birth, we understand that everyone from Noah, or Noah, everyone from Adam down was cursed. But Jesus was born outside of that lineage. Do, do we get that? Do we get how that, so all of that trickles down. We all have this sinful nature because we are all part of the first man, Adam. But Jesus, Jesus' conception was divine. So he's not from that trickle-down effect. He was born outside of that, which means he didn't have the sinful nature that we have. Thank God. It's why he's, he was divine, but he was also human. He was, he was tempted. And we can read in the Bible how he was tempted and the, the, the devil would try to use scripture against him and, and, and it didn't work. Jesus didn't have the same inner... It's funny, she just came up. Jesus didn't have the same inner workings. He didn't have the same sinful spirit on the inside, which is why he was sinless until the day he died. There were, there's testimonies of, of a centurion standing at the bottom of the cross and saying, surely this was a righteous man. It's, it's widely established in the Bible that Jesus was sinless. But that's not a good enough answer, right? We need to have, why is it important? Because if he had sin, then there would have been no sacrifice. He would not have been a spotless lamb. God's wrath would not be satisfied. And we would still be under condemnation right now. It's a foundational doctrine. If you take that away, this falls, this falls, it's dominoes. They all fall down. You can't take that away. That's why it's so important. Let's go to... Uh, there's too many scriptures on this, to be completely honest with you. <laughs> Let's go to Colossians. Uh, 1, 15 through 20. I didn't realize how late it was. I guess I'll stop the uh, other three parts of this sermon. I'm joking. I'm actually, I'm actually pretty much done. No. We're good. I don't think we're in a room of people that are completely, completely deaf to all this, but this is just stuff that's good to hear. I think everything on the Barna survey is that way, where it's, it's, not, it's not that we're deaf to it. It's not that we're, we don't know that. But it's like we haven't heard it recently, right? Because we are what we hear. We are what our mantra is. We are what we repeat. We are what we put in over and over and over and over. So it's good to hear. What did I say? Colossians 1? 1. So the preeminence of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, 
the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. But what it's essentially saying is that, that he, he was born into the world, not of the world. At, to be the sacrifice for us to be able to stand here and talk about him. For us to be able to lay down our lives and serve him alone. It's foundational that Jesus, his, <laughs> his deity, him being fully man, fully God, coming, coming as the son of man, and he rose up as the son of God, foundational to what we believe you can't mess with the deity of christ you can't it's not a, it's not a negotiable tweakable part of our faith this is this is a solidified part of our faith if jesus is not the messiah then god's wrath is still at large we know we feel <laughs> we have the evidence we we, we know that Jesus was the Son of God. We know that our sin debt has been paid for. We know that he's a loving God and he loved us so much that he sent his Son. We know that he's coming again. Like, this isn't like a story that's over. One of the things I dislike about these messages because it, it, a lot of times it ends at the cross, right? And it, but the story's not over. We're in the story right now. There's coming a day where he's coming back. There's coming a day where every knee is going to bow. Every tongue on the planet is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. Every knee and every tongue. This is what we have to look forward to. I feel like the church needs to like rise up and, and hear this. Just think about this for a second. There's a break in the clouds and Jesus is coming back and this world as we know it is over. And every person on the planet becomes religious. It's the truth. This is what we have to look forward to. This is what we put our stock into. God needs a humbled, sanctified church more than he needs a candidate in the White House. It's the truth. God needs the church to study scripture, to know why we believe what we believe. And this is, this is diet yogurt compared to like what we could really get into with this. I'm, I'm picking and choosing because we're late. I just want to pray, Lord, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for your son, your son, Jesus, the name of Jesus. We have the name of Jesus. Even the name of Jesus carries power. God, we thank you for this sacrifice for us. And God, I pray for each and every person here, including myself, 
Lord, if there's something that we have taken from the world or put into the world that's yours, convict me, Lord. Convict us of it. God, if we've taken glory and respect and honor and, and things that are just for you because we are bondservants to you, God, I pray that you would reveal it to us so we can get rid of it and make things right. God, I pray that you would give us a passion for Scripture. I pray that you would give us a passion for knowing why we believe what we believe. Lord, even give us a passion for for calling out Pat. (laughs) That's fine too. Lord, give us Give us a clear path on what you would have us to do. And Lord, give us peace in the things that you want us doing and give us no peace in the things that you don't want us doing. We ask this in your name.